Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. My name is Jessica, and I have a new special guest here this evening to share her story with you. Sharon is here with us, and welcome, Sharon, to the podcast. Would you give us a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Sharon Pierce, and I am a native Oregonian, but I recently moved back after being gone more than 25 years from the state. I'm retired, whatever that means. I'm a wife, a mom, a grandma, and assorted names to many different people. Um, and I'm so excited to be back home in Oregon, although it has changed so much in 25 years and be near my family. Well, we're so glad to have you back. Um, I have to kind of share the story of, of how you connected with, with me, because I, I think you've, you maybe found something on my car. Right. It was the ball stuff and the Tennessee stuff. And I, I knew I found a friend. <laughs> Yeah, you don't you don't find a whole lot of uh, Tennessee football stickers on cars driving around in Oregon. So when you when you find a buddy, it's great. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you found me, and I'm I'm so glad you're back in Oregon. And I just wanted to ask how you're doing with our pandemic life right now. What has this been like for you personally? Well, it's been um, really different because we were in the process of moving when this whole thing started. So we found ourselves living in a rental in Sheridan and 35 miles away in Gaston, putting a manufactured home on some property. So we spent time in one or the other or in the car going back and forth. So it I can't say all of a sudden my life completely changed because my life was in a lot of chaos anyway. But as I have settled a little bit more in here, and that, that means I live in Gaston now, it's helped me see some things a little differently as we've had time to think about it. And I am so tired of them. We're going to get through this together and stay safe and stay home and all that kind of stuff. And I guess I'm tired of it because for the first time, I'm in a marginalized group. I'm in the at-risk senior citizen group and people treat you just a little bit differently. And I've never been treated differently before just because of something that I couldn't change. So that's been interesting to me. And that's also helped me to have maybe some insight into other people who find themselves more marginalized because there's nothing that they did. So that's been a good thing for me. I just have never thought about it. And it, it's really opened my eyes to so many people who are marginalized, who we look down on without thinking that we even do it. That's such an important perspective, I think, to keep in mind. So many people have mentioned different perspectives that they are being, I guess, made aware of during this. And and that's one that we really haven't talked about yet before, at least so far on, on this podcast. Uh, from what I know of your story, I think you have quite a unique perspective on uh, working with, with different groups and just really kind of being on the front lines in some ways with some ministry things that for the rest of us are just sort of like thoughts or prayers or we're very far removed from let's put it that way and um so <laughs> with a little bit of that introduction as you tell us your story i just wanted to let you explain first how you have sectioned your life off 
this whole years into months and I'm going to let you explain it because I love it. So uh, with that, would you would you kind of explain that to us and then and then kind of dive in? Sure. I'm a journaler. I have journaled pretty consistently for the last 12 years. And I could say that's a hobby, but it's really a whole lot more than that because uh, for me, it's a way of getting my thoughts on paper. And when you can see something, it helps you understand it better. You know how sometimes you'll have a thought kind of running around in your head and you don't really know what's bothering you, but something is there until you say it. And then when you say it, it makes sense or you see it differently or you see the answer. Well, that's how journaling is for me. It just helps me to see things that help me make sense of different things. So I've done that for a long time and I've got quite a few journals and it's been fun. I can go back and look at them and I can see what we would call a besetting sin that has showed up over and over and over and I can see progress. So it's both encouraging and it's humbling to go back, but it's been really good for me. So a couple of years ago, I found a book on how to write your spiritual autobiography. And I'd always wanted to do something like that because I never thought I'd be back in Oregon near my family. So I wanted them to see something of maybe what had happened in my life in the years that I'd been gone. Um, and this book talked about setting your life up in season. And what they suggested you do is every month is going to be seven years of your life. So you, you write that out that way. Okay, so from zero to seven is January. February is from eight to 14. And then you just go back to that time zone or that time and you think, now, what was the thought? What, what happened in that time? And it helped me break things down. It made things clear. Uh, and it was, it was just a fun kind of experiment to do. It made me think about things in a different way. So that's kind of how I addressed this when you said, would you like to tell me your story? <laughs> so are you ready? We are ready. I, I love it. I love the, the seven year chunks. And I think there may be some people that would need more than 12 months, but, but you're not there yet. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you do with that. You know, that's the <laughs> thing. And you know, a funny thing about seven years is this is my third time to move being married to my husband. And I just realized with this move that he likes to move every seven years. Now, I hope my next move is to heaven. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I would just love to invite you now to go back. We're going to we're going to go from talking about moving to heaven to back to the beginning of your life. <laughs> Rewind. Okay. Okay. So January and February and March would take me to 21. And if I look back, they were mostly happy times. Uh, my dad was saved in World War II. And he came home on fire for Jesus. He died at 82, and he never lost that fire. Uh, a great example, more than anyone, my voice, my voice is cracking, and that's fine. More than anyone, he lived what he preached. He lived what he believed. And uh, not that his life was easy, but he lived it. And I thank the Lord daily for the fact that I had great parents like that. So I have good memories. I remember by kneeling by the couch when I was five with my mom and asking Jesus to come into my heart. And dad was never a preacher. He was a farmer, but he loved, he would speak a lot. He would go to different churches and fill in. And we did youth camp. Then we did youth for Christ at Seaside every Saturday night when I was about five or six. Lots of really, really good memories. I cannot really remember anything terribly daunting in the first 21 years of my life great memories, a great foundation. And the older I get, 
the more thankful I am for the parents that I had and the foundation they gave me. I can still hear him preach. I shut my eyes. I can hear his examples. And I love to do that. I love to think about that. He was a great speaker and a great influence on my life. So you would think that with that kind of a background and that kind of an upbringing, I would not marry someone that wasn't a Christian. The next segment of my life, which I call April, May, and June, take me to 42. It was the late 60s when I graduated from high school. And in the late 60s, it was very common for us girls to want to just get married, be a housewife, have a nice family. And that was it. Uh, And that's what I wanted. I never had any career desires. And that's what I wanted. But the Lord didn't move fast enough for me. So I found someone on my own. And that never worked. That never, ever worked. So I spent 18 years of my life with a man that was really, really nice to other people, had a great personality, was a hard worker. He wasn't a drinker. He didn't do anything wrong necessarily, uh, but but he had a temper. And that temper would just show up at off the wall times, it seemed like. I was raised in the church, though, and the church that, you know, you stay with them. You pray harder. You work harder. You do better. And everything will work out. So I tried all that. But, you know, when you live in a marriage, you know how to push each other's buttons. And we both knew how to push buttons. Kids came along. We have three sons. And between three sons and a self-employed business and all the things that go with life, we pushed the buttons a lot. But I tried as much as I knew how. That was the early 70s. And back in the early 70s, we didn't know about a lot of things that we know about now. And one of them is the batterer syndrome. And the batterer syndrome has to do with the factors like a cycle in an abusive relationship where I, I would remember that you could feel the tension building up. And so you worked harder, you cooked a better meal, you cleaned the house a little better, you did whatever it was you thought maybe if you did it right, it would be okay because you'd heard that if you just did this right, everything would be okay. They wouldn't have to get mad. But the syndrome kind of shows you that it, once it starts, it builds up until there's an explosion of some sort. And then it's all over. And then it's, I'm sorry, you made me do it, but I'll never do it again. And I'm sorry, and I love you, forgive me, blah, blah, blah. And it it doesn't always end in any kind of violence, so to speak, but there's this tension that builds up that you can't short circuit. We'd never even heard of that back then. So we really thought if the house was clean, if the kids weren't yelling, then that wouldn't have happened. I don't, I don't remember thinking, well, God, where are you? What have you done? Because because I was the one that decided to marry someone that wasn't one of God's children. I was the one that went out and picked him. Not that I ever, God never said to me, well, I told you so. What did you expect? He never, you know, I never felt bad, but I had made that decision. And I stayed and stayed for 18 years. And then some of that anger and frustration began to show up in my kids. He began to, to be too abusive to them. So I divorced him at that point in time. And I was 39 with three teenage sons and two jobs. And I never in a million years would have thought I'd have been a place like that. All this time I was going to church. I was teaching Bible study. I was doing BBS. I was doing all the right things. And I was trying harder. And I was doing all the things we were supposed to do. But when the children began to be the brunt of that physical abuse, that's when I left. So I don't understand why it was okay for him to hit me but not my kids, but that's kind of how it worked. And I left at that point in time. So July was a benchmark month. It was a huge month in my life. And in this seven year span, I made the most important decision of my life. It was one that I thought I'd already made. 
I'd always been active in church and I continued to be highly involved. I went to the newly started divorce recovery at my church and I missed this distinguished looking man who was also going through a divorce. Well, six years later, we were married and I moved to beautiful, rural, western Pennsylvania. And I will call it PA as I talk because Pennsylvania is the only state in the U.S. that goes by initials, but we just say PA. And I remember how excited I was when I moved back there. Uh, I remember thinking, I've got a chance to start over. No one knows about any of my mistakes. No one knows about my failures. No one knows any of that. I've got a brand new life. I have a wonderful husband who's a Christian, who loves me, who wants to take care of me. And I'm just so excited to be away from where I was. We built a log home and I got a job that I liked and it was a good life. We became snowbirds and we went to Florida in our fifth wheel when the winters came. The winters are hard back there and it should have finally been the perfect life, you know, storybook kind of a life. But something was missing and it was about two years into this adventure. Coming home from a women's retreat um, in November, it was cold and snowy. And I said to the Lord, I am tired of trying to control my life. I'm tired of trying to make things come out the way I think they should. I am tired of this. I want you to take charge of everything if you'll still have me. And I will do anything you tell me to do, but I don't want to be in charge anymore. And I know he smiled and said, well, do I have a plan? You will not believe it, Sharon. Hang on and you won't believe it even if I told you. And he did. The first thing that he changed was my heart. He gave me a hunger for the word like I had never had. I read it and I studied it. And more importantly, I began to try to do what it said. One thing to read it, it's another thing to do it. I began to disciple some high school kids and that was fun. When I moved to PA, I found out I was very active on the West Coast. I was a runner and I had lots of friends that ran and we did a, we did a lot of things. In PA, all the women that were my age played cards and knitted. And so that was really rough for me. You know. So the high school kids were fun. I had a good time with that. I discipled some high school kids. And then I worked at a domestic violence agency and shared with some of those women. So that was a great time. It was a real growing time. I was just like a sponge. And the Lord just gave me a lot of blessings in that. You know, I still have friends from the high school kids back in the early 2000s. And, and that's fun. I love that. The next thing he changed was my location. I was in August by now. So August would be what, eight times seven, 50. I'd be in my 50s, early 50s. And we decided to move to Tennessee. The hard winters were getting us. That's the simplest way to put it. <laughs> and Wikipedia told us that Tennessee was as far south as you could go and still have four seasons. Amen. <laughs> so we wound up in Athens, Tennessee, which is about 45 miles north of the Georgia state line. We knew absolutely no one, but I jumped right in. I was officially retired, and I began to look for volunteer activities. I was led to a new ministry in the area called Women at the Well. Uh, it was described as a long-term residential discipleship program for women dealing with life-controlling issues. I made an appointment to visit and began to volunteer. I fell in love with the ministry and the people that it ministered to. So I graduated from stuffing envelopes the bookkeeping, the teaching, then mentoring, and, um, and then I became involved in jail ministry. I loved what I was doing there, and I would have been happy to spend the rest of my life in Tennessee in that ministry. But after about five years, my husband decided that he'd like to move back to PA, where he was born and raised. 
And I vividly remember the day he told me this. I felt like my heart was breaking. And in my spirit, I heard the Lord say, okay, little girl, this is the time to put your money where your mouth is. You teach those ladies all about submission to the authorities in their lives. In fact, you say that if it's not immoral or illegal, it's your job to submit. And your husband is not asking you to do anything wrong. He's just asking you to do something that you don't want to do. You know, if I could (laughs) just park on this point for a moment, because this is a big one. This is a really, really big one. And there are so many women who hear the word submit and the, and the just, you know, the hairs go straight up. Here you are in this jail ministry working with women who probably have very different backgrounds from you. And you're developing this relationship with them and really being a leader in their lives. And it sounds like everything you were teaching them, you're now kind of really being asked to do yourself including a word that causes a lot of women to uh, feel very defensive, maybe, the word submit. So before you kind of tell us what happened next, I was hoping you could dive into that a little bit more. Most of the women that I was around in the program, and that meant that they had made a profession of faith at that point in time. They had said, basically, I've tried everything else, and here I am. It's nothing, nothing else has worked. And so I want, to, I want to be different. I want to learn these things. I want to be what the Lord's called me to be. Well, we don't get to pick and choose out of the Bible which things we want to obey. And that's what we would like to do. And, you know, part of the conversation in my head with the Lord at this point in time was, now listen, do you really think I'll bless a ministry that you're in if you're telling me, well, I will preach you good, but I will not live it. Thank you very much. You either believe the word or you don't. And those are hard truths, but they are truths that have guided me throughout the rest of my life. My responsibility is to submit with honor and respect because he wasn't asking me to do anything wrong. Yes, it was hard. And he was very generous. If I would have said, I don't want to move, I will not move, he would have stayed. Well, that's not right. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's how I felt. I can't say, well, my job's really important. I'm doing ministry and you're retired, working at Lowe's. Who's more important? Well, he is more important. He is my husband. He is my authority. And I'm to respect and honor that man. And that's the truth of it. The Lord has blessed me because I have chosen to take these hard steps. And as you know, as I will say later on, each move has been hard, but everyone has been better. I've learned something with every move. And that wouldn't have happened if I'd have put my, you know, put my foot down and said, I'm staying here. I like it here. I will stay here. That wouldn't have happened. So I have to trust. I have to believe that God has a plan that's smarter than mine. And if I surrender to that and cling to that, it will work out. Amen. It took three years for the house to sell. That's a long time to keep a clean house. Let me tell you, anyone anyone to be able to come in anytime they want. (laughs) And the Lord gave me Psalms 84 in that. And the verses that really um, I clung to. Verse 5 says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. And what he said to me in that verse is you set your mind on the right thing and it'll get to your heart. And it did. Verse 11 goes on to says he gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who do what is right. Well, I was doing what was right. I was honoring my husband and I was continuing to minister until I left. He will not withhold any good from me if I do that. Now, it might not look the way I think it does, but he will not withhold it. Those are the kinds of promises that I just hung on to for dear life. And in that time, he changed my heart. He changed my husband's heart. He gave me a dream in that time. And um, it came in jail, which is kind of funny. And that's <laughs> when I used to, when I was, uh, I had have to be careful to say I was not in jail. I was ministering in jail because you get quick with saying that kind of stuff. But I was in jail with the group of women that I was with. And they were standing in front of the group and they were singing a couple songs and giving their testimonies. And I was way back at the back and I was just really enjoying it. And um, the Lord said to me, you know what? You can do this when you move back to PA. And I said to the Lord, you know what? I am too old and I don't know how. And he said to me, well, Caleb was 85 when he crossed into the promised land and took the hill country. So what's your point? And you're right. You don't know how to do it, but you know me and I know how to do everything. So it was settled. I went home from jail that day and told my husband, because you need to say things like that out loud early on or you'll forget them. You'll not forget them, but you'll back off. Maybe I didn't really hear that. So I began to research. I had about a year then before I household and I began to research how you start a 501c3 and how you write the procedures manuals and how you incorporate and all those things. I mean, the ministry part's fun. Preaching and teaching is fun. The other part, not so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when we, we moved to PA then in April, and uh, that was in my October by now. So you see, that was... <laughs> it's April and October, right? <laughs> I jump around. <laughs> um, but we moved back up, and I immediately began on my quest to start a ministry, much like Women at the Well that I had worked at. And so there were lots of obstacles, I'll just say that. When I was in Tennessee, it was a small town, and the ministry was about, oh, seven or eight years old when I began to volunteer there, and everyone loved the ministry. I mean, what a wonderful thing they were doing. You know, they were helping all these women. Well, when I moved to PA and wanted to do the same thing, Everyone was like, we don't want those kind of people in our backyard. No, we will not. We will not give you a bill. I mean, I, I had those kinds of issues all the time. And that was hard. They were huge roadblocks. That's just the best thing to say. We began to look. We didn't have any money to speak of, but we had a plan and we were going to do whatever it took. And uh, I'd been speaking at churches and speaking to whoever would listen to me, I would talk to, trying to, to get this going. And I remember it'd been about, a year, maybe a little bit more than a year. And it was a Saturday afternoon and I was in my house. I was on my knees praying and I was whining to the Lord about how hard it was. And I couldn't get people to listen to me and we didn't have any money and blah, blah, blah. And someone knocked on my door. So I ran to the door and it was the UPS man. And he gave me this box. It wasn't a big box. And it was full of uh, personal items from the commissary of a jail in Eastern Pennsylvania. And it said something like, um, we've heard about your ministry and we just want to support you and encourage you. 
And the Lord seemed to say to me, see there, I am sending you supplies from a jail for heaven's sake. Quit your whining and get to work. You will get stuff like you never believe. And I did. It, it, it made me realize he was going to supply in ways that I could not imagine. So I began to do that. That started a relationship that I had with someone called Brother George. <laughs> he began to send me a $5 money order every month from prison. And I would send back my, my letter with that. And one of the letters he really liked me, he said, can I share this with my congregation at church? And I said, well, sure. So he did. And about a week later, I got a check in the mail. And it was $500 from a prison church. And I got another $1,500, I think it was, or maybe it was even more than that, from a prison church to support the ministry. Uh, they called me Mama Sharon. <laughs> and it was just, it's just a fun memory. The Lord provided for us in so many ways like that. It's just unbelievable what, what he did, what he does. Finally, we found a house. It was a three-story brick house, and it needed a lot of work. But we were able to get it up and get it running. God just orchestrated so many things that only God can do those things. The house is large enough for six students, and the Lord provided staff and women who were ready to make a life change. Uh, most of the students struggled with drug addiction, but we also had those that struggled with alcohol. We had those that cut. We had those with eating disorders. And almost everyone, of course, had dysfunctional relationships. Classic book, A Tale of Two Cities, starts out, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. And I would say that those seven years that I was involved with the ministry and the women, that was about what I could say. It was the best of times and it was the worst of the time. I saw things that I never could have imagined, and yet I saw the Lord do some miracles in some lives. And it changed me in, in so many ways. Um, the thing that I think I learned the most while I was there was compassion, maybe. I'm kind of a type A, kind of a, this is how it is, so just do it. Thank you very much. And that doesn't always work. And the Lord just put people in my life that broke my heart over and over, and yet I still love them. And it was a good thing for me. It just, it softened me in different ways. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I've just learned that we can't make anyone change it. And we know that. But there's something in us that kind of thinks, well, just one more good lesson, one more good this, something just if I had done it a little bit different. No, nope, you can't do that. My part is to be obedient to what the Lord has told me to do. That's all I can do. I can just do what he tells me. I can love them and I can show compassion and I can forgive. It was a great time. I would say one of the most, I don't know, invigorating times of my life, which sounds really strange, but I, I think it was. Well, if I can ask if there's any particular memory or or person, moment, kind of a day in the life of, I mean, this is this kind of ministry is something that very few of us really experience ever, you know, to, to really be in the heart of what some of these people are going through. And I mean, you're very much being the hands and feet of Jesus. So a day in the life. <laughs> We had a strict schedule and the schedule was very important because many of the women had just never had any kind of a schedule. So that was something that was very important. So in theory, we knew what we were doing with every part of the day. But I always knew if I got there and my, my intern was standing outside the back porch waiting for me, it was going to be some kind of a special day. <laughs> okay, uh, But we had... A normal day would be uh, lots, a fair amount of devotional Bible study, then class studies. Uh, each woman had her own particular contract, we called them, that they worked on. 
and it took them from the basics of their faith to what needed to be specialized. We had one, we had some with young students. And so we worked with the, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was a county agency that helped with parenting, helping teach parents to parent their young adult, their, their young children. Because one of our girls was like a, a second generation drug addict. And so she didn't even have any idea what parenting looked like. So we had some of that, but it was highly structured. That would be the best thing to say. The girls did all the cooking and the cleaning. We had contact with the outside world. We weren't locked in, but you didn't have free time that you could just take off for a couple hours. But my days would range from nice and quiet to went to work once in the basement, had six inches of water that we had to get out of it. Probably one of my most memorable times was I got a call on a Sunday morning that said, uh, there's a sheriff's car here from Tennessee and they want to take so-and-so back. They're wanting to arrest her. Can you come? What can you do? So I remember racing down. It was eight miles racing down <laughs> thinking oh lord please don't let there be cop cars all around the house because the neighbors are really be ticked off if that happens there weren't those kinds of things um what i found was after the women had been there i'm going to say two to three months they began to feel safe and as they began to feel safe they began to remember things that they had hidden or they kept buried for so long so there'd be lots of one-on-one -on -one counseling. Counseling isn't the right word. We were, we were a discipleship program. We weren't a therapy. We weren't a counseling program. We were a discipleship. I believe the Lord showed me that the girls learned more from watching you walk out your faith than all the books that you give. They learn more in watching and seeing that. What you said is so true for so many things. What we see mm -hmm. is so much more an example than just about anything else, you know? As you described your dad, it reminded me in many ways of my grandpa, my, my Tennessee farming grandpa. He had a phrase that said, you know, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Right. And he didn't mean like, don't ever talk about your faith or don't ever talk about Jesus by any means. You can you can kind of twist that phrase. What he was meaning is, you know, there's so much you can do to share truth and love in just how you're living and how you're acting. And I always think they don't want your answer unless they ask you a question. So my goal is to be the salt and the light that I'm different enough that they say, why didn't you ask that person out? Why did you do this? And then you can say, well, you know why? So they don't want our answers until they have a reason to look for them. Well said. But you didn't stay in PA. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's okay. another chapter there. <laughs> right. But we're getting close to the end. Um, one day, my husband asked me if I would like to move back to Oregon. Well, my adult children live in Oregon. My grandsons live in Oregon. My siblings live in Oregon. And all my extended family does. So, yes, I've been praying for years that I can move back someday. Well, I never really thought it would happen. So then we started another step. That would be the best thing to say. And I realized, you know, in the time that I was gone, that my kids didn't know who I who I am uh, because I was gone for a long time. My youngest son was 18 when I left, and I've been gone for 25 years. They're 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 very adult men now. They don't they don't know me. And so to be able to come back for me, this was like getting to the promised land. Uh, you know, the Lord had just you know, and like I, I said before, the moves have been hard, but the, they're always better every time. So I anticipated this move would be hard, but it would be better because that's what the Lord was doing. So we listed our home again, and for a year it didn't sell. So it's another year of trying to keep my house clean and be all ready for that. But it finally sold just about a year ago. 
we, we've been here now since July. So just a little over a year ago. So we had this giant garage sale. We packed a 16-foot trailer full of all kinds of stuff. We did a little some other kind of U-Haul thing and filled the truck and drove 2,700 miles from Pennsylvania to Oregon. And it was a very hard trip. Physically, it was very, very demanding. <laughs> we got here in six days and we were tired, but I was so excited. I cannot tell you how excited I was. We found a rental in Sheridan and uh, we began to look for property. We had lived on property all of our life, all of our married life, and we had left 17 acres, which was more than we could handle, but we had hoped maybe we'd find something that had a little bit of land with it. Well, prices here are at least uh, three times higher than anything in PA, so we had to make a ton of adjustments, and those are hard things to do. But we found two acres on close to Gaston, which is the far side of the county, and that's where we live now. In fact, if I look across the hill, I'm only about five miles away from where I was raised. And then we moved, we found property, bought the home, and the home was set up the end of February when the pandemic hit. So that's been a real interesting, strange time. It's been difficult. And we hadn't been here long enough to really have much of a network. So we have felt isolated in a different sort of way, but we're, we're busy. We have a ton of stuff to do. And I love being here. I'm out in the country. I was raised in the country. So I'm out in the country and it's raining today, but usually I'm out there on these nice days saying, oh, thank you, Lord. I love it here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's quiet. It's a different kind of thing. So, you know, I'm in November now. So, you know, I'm working. I've still got a couple months to go and I'm all excited about that. You just might have more than a couple months. I don't know. I... <laughs> Those autobiography months. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So as we have kind of gone through these seven-year chunks of your life, you've kind of come full circle yeah. back to Oregon. I just was curious, how has it been since the time you've been back with your, like reconnecting with your family, being in the same state? Well, it's it's been good. Two of my sons live within 10 miles of me and one lives well, at the coast. You know, my brother and his wife live in McMinnville, and um, my baby sister, though, passed away after I've been here for six weeks. So that was kind of hard, but it's been it's been good. We are reconnecting, and um, I'm loving being around. My, I have a grandson that's 20 and a grandson that's 13, so it's been fun to kind of connect with them. I, I'm enjoying that, although the pandemic has really slowed that down because we are the old people that you don't want to hang around with because you don't want to make them sick, okay? <laughs> you know, we're recording this via audio, but if any of our listeners get to meet you, I just, uh, they'll, they'd find it hard to put you in the category of old person. Okay. Well, part of my problem is I don't think I am. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> around with those 30 and 40 year olds and all of a sudden I'm 70 and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're 70 going on 30. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if I could ask you for a moment to just kind of reflect back, there are, I'm sure, listeners who will have connected with your story in some way, whether they lived through a similar abusive marriage, went through a divorce, felt like they had to give up control, maybe had that feeling of, I'm where I'm supposed to be and things are going well and wonderful and, and now I'm being called to move. Um, and then not to mention learning something new, right? When you might think, like you said, I'm too old for this, trying to do something that maybe seems impossible or too hard. And then just the ministry of loving and serving people that honestly 
a lot of people are either afraid to love and serve or don't feel like they know how to or do or just don't want to. So kind of looking back at, you know, your your life lessons, do you have any words of hope and encouragement for for women who might have just really related to your life story? Uh, these are a couple of the things that I think I've learned or relearned. God always pursues us and he doesn't give up. So neither should I give up on people or dreams that the Lord has placed in my heart. God uses ordinary people to do his work if we let him. I was a high school graduate with no training when I began the pursuit at the well, but he let me have the privilege of pouring into the lives of, I would say, hundreds of broken women. And he's given me three principles that I try to live by that I still quote to myself quite often, actually. The first one is John 16, 33. In this world, you'll have trouble, but don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. I don't look for trouble, but I'm not surprised when it shows up. That's just that's just a fact of life. And the second one is life is short, so invest in the day. That's just as simple as it can be. We never know. We're guaranteed today, and that's it. And the third, like, God is sovereign. Nothing surprises God. Nothing ever surprises God. My job is to hang on to his hand. And it's easy to forget sometimes, like I said, you guys, this is a promised land. I believe he's promised me this land and I am back. But just getting to the promised land isn't the goal, especially as we're studying in Exodus. You know, the goal is to possess it. And there's hard work involved in that. You know, we are in a battle. Satan doesn't like what we're doing. We are in a battle. We need to remember that. Nothing surprises God, and he's called us, and he's our rock, and he's our fortress. And I'm even thinking on Mother's Day this year, and as you talked, I listened to one of your podcasts a day or two ago talking about Mother's Day. And Mother's Day has always had a lot of mixed emotions for me for different reasons. And this year, he reminded me again of his faithfulness. And this would be the first Mother's Day in 26 years that I'd be around my family, although the pandemic put a dent in any kind of big family get-together kind of a deal. Before I was even awake, I woke up and I had texts from former students from PA and and Tennessee, and they were sending me Mother's Day greetings. I brought smiles and tears before I was hardly out of bed. Then I thought of that prison minister, that prison church that called me Mama Sharon. And I thought of all the people the Lord had allowed me to touch um, and to get to know. And I remembered all those relationships. And if no one else remembered that day, my kids, I was already so blessed. And I looked out the window and I saw my son bringing me a bouquet. And I knew this would be my best Mother's Day ever. So I am just thankful to be here. And we don't know what anything is going to bring, but we know it's never too late to follow your dream. God is the God of all hope and nothing ever surprises him. And um, I choose to get up every day and say, you know, today's a blank page. And it will be what I allow him to make it to be. That's what I have learned. I love that you touched on spiritual motherhood. And and yes, in our podcast from last week, we touched on the range of emotions that Mother's Day can bring. Everyone's kind of got a different story there. And really how many of us are called in some way to be a spiritual mama. And just that concept of motherhood goes far beyond just the traditional sense of the word, if you will. And I have no doubt that you have a whole bunch of spiritual daughters in Tennessee and in PA and probably will in Oregon. And they'll be very blessed to have you. 
There is, um, there is a verse in Job, you know, the end of the end of Job, and it said, and the end of Job's days were better than the first of his Job's days. And that's a very bad paraphrase of it. But I remember seeing that verse when I was still in Pennsylvania the first time and thinking, Lord, how can that be? How can the end of my life be better than the first of my life? Because all of my kids are in Oregon and I'm not even around him anymore. But he showed me I have spiritual children. I didn't lose my kids. I have more kids than I ever had. And it's the same kind of a concept. So as we're wrapping up here, uh, Sharon, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. You had sent me an email uh, when we kind of first started the Story Night podcast, and it was such an encouragement to me. So I really appreciate you speaking that and, and then being willing to come on and open up your life to us. So as we close, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind praying for our listeners. You bet. Heavenly Father, uh, we just love you so much. And we are so thankful that you've called us and that you've chosen us and that you have a life for us that's more than we could ask or even imagine. Lord, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that everything in your Bible is true. I thank you that nothing surprises you. I thank you that you never give up on us. I thank you that you called us to do things that are so far beyond our reach that we must depend upon you. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. Thank you that you are a rock. Thank you that you are a fortress. I thank you for all that you are. And Lord, I think of so many people that feel alone, that feel useless. I understand that a little bit better than I did um, because of this pandemic, that, that feeling of being invisible or not valuable or useless. Lord, I feel that. But Lord, uh, your word tells me that I am a great worth. We're all of great worth, Lord. When we say who we are, you know, what I really am is I'm a child of the king. First and foremost, I am a child of the king. And everyone listening to this that knows you, she's a child of the king. And that's where our identity is. And you've given each of us a hope. You've given us each a different place to learn the lessons that you have. And Lord, the lessons can be hard sometimes. But it is so worth it to go through and to cling to your word. To cling to who you are to watch you work things out in ways that we could never dream of. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to the women that have some kind of a vision, that, that you've been telling them about something and they've been saying, oh, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird or, or whatever, Lord, because it's hard sometimes to reach out. But you called us to risk things, to risk things for you, to reach out, to stretch and to, to do the things you called us to do. Lord, I, I don't want to be safe. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be a woman who makes mistakes, but, but gives it all she knows how. And Lord, I believe that the women that are listening to this are those kind of women. And Lord, I pray that you would touch us all, that you would unite us, that you would show us how to encourage each other to reach out, Lord, and make a difference by the way we live and by the views that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to just share a little bit of the things that you have shown me. Thank you for Jessica, who wants to do this story night and is doing the great things with it, Lord. Encourage her and continue to draw people in to share. Because, Lord, as I have listened to these stories, too, you just never imagined. That's all I know how to say. So thank you for being you that we can do this. In the name of your son, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Sharon. I really, I just really appreciate it. It means a lot. I think our stories are super valuable. And I always think that, you know, as we've been doing this now for over a month, the amount of 
emails or texts or calls I've received from somebody who heard it, who shared it with a friend who was going through something similar or, I mean, really the stories kind of go on and the stories of listening to the stories (laughs) go, go on and on. And it's just, it's been really special. So we have many more on the way. Well, that's great. (laughs) So thank you, Sharon. I appreciate it. And for anyone listening, if there's anything we can do for you, you know, you can find us at calvarymac.com and we hope you'll be back for the next of many stories. Thanks so much. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. (laughs) 